All right, uh, Colossians 1, and we're focusing on uh, verses 9 and 10 at the moment, and then that continues on into uh, the following section. Uh, Paul here uh, prays for this church, for these believers, that uh, they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And uh, there is an objective in view. Uh, so that knowledge is not just for the knowledge's sake. Right? He doesn't just want them not to be ignorant of those things. He wants them to know them, yes, but to know them that, he might, that they might live them. Right? So it, it pushes forward into his second request in verse 10 that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Right? So it is this walk, this comparative term, worthy of the Lord. And really it's uh, what the Lord has provided to us, the calling wherewith he has called us, and so on, uh, that this walk needs to, to correspond with. Okay, so it's not just the Lord as, a, as an uh, infinite being, but it's the Lord in his um, relationship to us and what he has provided for us, right? So put that on the one side. And then on the other side, what kind of a living, what kind of daily living and life choices uh, fits with what he has done for us, right? And um, so the Bible, of course, talks lots about that. Uh, we've been studying it in uh, Romans chapter 8 and other places as well, and uh, certainly want to give attention to what is specifically given to us here. So there are a number of other phrases then that follow that really I take as um, modifying or filling out, giving further little angles uh, to this kind of a walk uh, that is worthy of the Lord. Uh, the one that we looked at last week was the phrase, unto all pleasing, right? So what we have in view there is that which is pleasing to the Lord, right? And so uh, we've considered that and really some uh, very powerful challenges to us. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, said that whether present or absent, so present in this body or absent from this body, right? present with the Lord, absent with the Lord, uh, he labors uh, that he might be found pleasing unto the Lord. Right? So there's energy expended uh, by the Apostle Paul in his day uh, because he knew that we would all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And not for a, a test of salvation, because that is met in Christ, and his righteousness is perfect. And so uh, trusting in the gift of God in Christ Jesus, uh, our salvation is not the issue. right? But the Lord teaches that based on uh, that which we do in this body, whether good or bad, uh, we will answer to our Lord, to our Master, to our Father, uh, and really for the stewardship of life that he has given unto us. And so we want to be pleasing to him, right? so that when it comes to the end, uh, there is a well done that we would hear from him. And again, we are so needing of his grace uh, for that to be the case. But this idea that, that what I do day by day, what I do from morning to evening, it ought to concern me that all of those activities, where my mind goes, right, the words that come out of my mouth, it ought to be of concern to me whether or not that's all pleasing to the Lord. That's the point, right? To challenge us to care about what he cares about right, and what he's pleased with. And uh, the next phrase that we are going to look at now, verse 10 again, middle of the verse. So this walk that is worthy of the Lord has this characteristic. 
being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. So in this phrase, we have a metaphor that is being used. Uh, This idea of fruitfulness, uh, that's kind of an agricultural term, right? Um, You have um, plants that bear fruit, uh, whether it's a a tree, a fruit-bearing tree, or, you know, veggies in the garden or whatever, uh, they bear fruit. And so uh, there is... There is this this picture just in that term itself of of something that is productive, right? It's producing something, right? You know, there was a time when those cherries weren't on the tree, right? But then it starts. You see, I mean, you know, when the tree wakes up, we're all happy when the cherry tree wakes up, right? And you know, the leaves start to, to push out and then eventually the blossoms are there and except last year, uh, there's fruit, right? Last year was a bad year, um, which is interesting. We'll come back to that, right? Uh, but so in the normal course, right, the blossoms then show up and then after the, the bees do their thing, uh, then the fruit shows up. And then in due course, it ripens and we're all happy, right? And the neighbors are happy because they walk by and pick the cherries, but it's all good. Um, So fruitfulness, right, has this idea of being productive and it also implies life, right? That this, you know, if that cherry tree is dead, you can wait till summer comes and spring and winter and all of those seasons come and nothing's going to happen, because the poor thing's dead, right? Chop it down, um, build some furniture out of it or whatever, right? So um, the, the, the whole idea of fruitfulness has this, this image of that which is productive and that which is alive. Now, it's interesting. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about that or using that imagery. So we are going to explore some of these things. Let's go to Luke chapter 13. And here uh, you have a very interesting picture um, that the Lord paints. Uh, Let's see here. Luke chapter 13. And what is interesting is that the Lord does not elaborate on this parable. Right, so he just presents it, and he doesn't give the scripture does not give to us any explanation, and so you know we can from looking at other passages of scripture, which some of them we will do uh, this evening, uh, we can uh, sort of piece together who these persons represent and uh, get some idea of the point uh, that the Lord is making. But verse six. Luke chapter 13, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of this vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbers it the ground? And he, that is the gardener, answering, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it, fertilize it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Right? So, so very, very interesting picture. And again, he doesn't elaborate on it. Right? But we just have this, this idea, this picture of here's this fig tree. And when you plant a fig tree, what are you hoping to get from that fig tree? Figs, of course. Right? Uh, it's not just there to look pretty. 
right? It's there to produce something. And so this uh, owner of the, the fig tree has come three consecutive years looking for fruit and has found none. And so in his opinion, this tree that is supposed to be productive is of no value. Cut it down. I mean, he even asks the question, why is it taking up space, right, in, this, in, in my field or in my vineyard, right? Why is it even here? Cut it down. Get rid of it. Plant a new one kind of idea, right? And uh, so what's interesting is that the gardener um, pleads for mercy, right? Okay, Lord, um, let me give it one more season, right? A bit more attention, a bit more fertilizer, right? And, and then let's see what happens, right? And if it bears fruit, great. I mean, that's what we're interested in. If it doesn't, okay, let's cut it down, right? Uh, so you have really a very interesting interplay there. Obviously, the gardener and the, the owner, the Lord, are interested in the same thing, right? They're both interested in this tree producing fruit. And uh, the Lord has been patient, right? Three years he's come looking. And uh, the gardener obviously has been patient, but the gardener is, is asking for just one more season right, of patience. And uh, so very, very interesting picture. But it does set the stage for us, right? Here's this tree. It's supposed to be productive. It's supposed to be fruit-bearing. And when it isn't, that's a problem, right, with the one who owns the tree, right? With the one to whom the tree is accountable, if you will, right? And when it's not productive, that's a problem, right? And a problem that would have to be dealt with. Right, so this idea of not being fruitful, not bearing fruit. Okay, the Bible does talk about that. Not not that long ago, in these Sunday evening services, we preached through the book of Jude, one chapter, and you may recall uh, that that book uh, talks a lot about false teachers. Right, and really, it, he's sounding a warning about these false teachers. And it's very interesting that in describing these false teachers, he describes them, among other things, this way. Without fruit. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Right? So without fruit. Uh, so here is a testimony to these and a view of these. Right, any any kind of helpful produce that would be coming from them, not there, right? And so that is seen obviously as a fault. Uh, turn with me to Titus chapter three. And here Paul is giving instruction to Titus uh, right at the end of the, the book. So chapter 3, notice verse 13. Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. Right. So there's no, no shortfall, no lack. Right. So provide for their need. It's the idea. Apollos, of course, was a preacher, as uh, Paul was, and uh, obviously uh, where he was wherever Titus was or would be, and uh, Paul is encouraging Titus to help provide for them. And then he says, verse 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. And so what's very interesting in this conduct or in the context of something as simple as helping this traveling preacher along the way, these two men, right, feed them a little bit, give them some gas money kind of idea, right? Give them lodging for the night, uh, that kind of a picture. Something as simple as that 
to find that lacking would be to be unfruitful, right? Would be to be a disappointment to the Lord, right? Is what is implied, all right? So uh, there he's urging us not to be unfruitful. Second Peter. This is uh, such an interesting passage in Second Peter, uh, where um, chapter one, Peter urges us uh, with this admonition, verse five. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, and then he proceeds through this list of of various Christ-like characteristics, right? So so the picture that he's setting before us is you need to be diligent to pursue sanctification, right? It's great that you've repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, get to work, right, is the idea. And and pursue these uh, characteristics. And he lists them out here. Um, Virtue, Knowledge, temperance, or self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall be that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So the, the clear implication is someone who has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, what is expected in terms of th- that life that is supposed to be there and what is supposed to be produced by that life, these are the kinds of things that are expected. Right? Uh, these characteristics, uh, this, these uh, steps forward in sanctification. It's also interesting, uh, all right, so so if those things are in you, then you're not going to be unfruitful. If they aren't in you, you're unfruitful, right? That's a problem. Uh, and it's also interesting, again, the agricultural metaphor, another parable, uh, we call it the parable of the sower, and there are these different kinds of soil, aren't there? And we're told, uh, actually, let's turn there, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And as Jesus describes uh, this, I mean, he states the parable, and this one he does explain. Right, So you've got the sower sowing the seed. The seed is the word of God. And then you've got these four different kinds of soil that receive the seed. All the soil receives the seed. right? Whether it's the path on the wayside or the stony ground or where the thorns are and so on or the good soil. They all receive the word. Okay, And notice how it is described in verse 22. He that received the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, but the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So that seed sown, using the agricultural metaphor, does not produce fruit. Again, from the farmer's perspective, that's a problem, right? You're not sowing the seed for any other purpose than to produce fruit, right? And in this case, what's very interesting is, as is described here, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So, by the way, our reason for looking at some of these passages is not just so we can look at these passages, right? But hopefully that we can bring this truth
cruise forward into the challenge, the prayer that a walk worthy of the Lord would be ours, what does that look like? Well, it's fruitful unto every good work, right? So here, when we're told of this soil being unfruitful, we ought to take note of what is stated as the cause for the unfruitfulness. Okay? The deceitfulness of riches. The care of this world. Okay? So, we need to be aware that those things can choke the word. Those things can cause one to be unfruitful. So we need to be on guard and take note of that. But there is that last kind of soil. And in the next verse, it is described, he that receives seed into the good ground is he that hears the word and understands it, which also bears fruit some and brings forth, some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, Right? So there are different measures of fruitfulness, but it's all fruitful. Right? And that, of course, is the intended result. Right? So Paul is praying for these Colossians that they would walk worthy of the Lord. And what that looks like is this bearing of fruit uh, unto all good works. Now, the Lord Jesus, if you turn to John chapter 15... The Lord Jesus actually had an extended discussion with his disciples about this in the upper room just prior to his arrest, this whole idea of fruitfulness. And there's some very, very helpful things for us here that I hope will really challenge your heart. Okay, so if you were a fig tree, you aren't, okay? But if you were, would the Lord find fruit on you? Right? Would he find fruit on you? That's what we need to ask ourselves, right? Am I fruit bearing? Am I producing the kind of fruit that the word of God says God is interested as he sows his word in me? I'm a child of God, right? Again, Paul is praying in Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. He's praying for believers, right? So this is, this is not really, it's impossible for someone who is not a believer in Christ, right? Because, as we saw in Romans chapter 8 last time, I made that connection, uh, it's impossible for those that are in the flesh to please God, right? So there will be no fruitfulness until... There's salvation, right? So we need to understand our sinfulness. We need to understand that we are under condemnation because of that sinfulness. And we need to understand that God is willing to save us, right, from ourselves and from our sin. And uh, his son died to pay the penalty for sin so that we, uh, receiving by faith a gift from God of forgiveness, uh, can now bring forth fruit, right? Our lives can now be changed, right? We can, we can see some of these characteristics, the self-control and the love and the mercy and gentleness and all of these things that are the fruit that God is interested in producing in us, all right? So uh, Jesus talked about that with his disciples. And... Uh, what what we see from Jesus' words is that this is not, we, we as his disciples, if we are his disciples, we ought to understand that your fruitfulness is not optional. Right? You, you don't get, I mean, you will decide, Right? How you're going to respond to God's word and whether you're going to yield to him and so on and, and what kind of fruit will be there. But, but really, you know, from the master's point of view, 
he's looking for fruit. And he's looking for fruit in every one of his children. Every one of his disciples. He's looking for fruit. And that's why I asked the question, if you were a fig tree, what would the Lord see on you? Right? So let's listen to Jesus. I am the true vine, verse 1, John 15. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. Okay, so to use that other parable from Luke 13, cut it down. And again, every branch in him. You know, some very interesting uh, theology in all of that. It's not my point to dwell long on that. But there are those, and even the fruit, sorry, the soil among thorns, right? The seed fell among thorns. It sprang up initially, but it never brought forth fruit. Okay, and so we would say that there are those who would profess to be followers of Christ. They would profess to be disciples of Jesus. They would profess to be in Christ. But there's no fruit. Which is evidence that they aren't really in Christ. Right? And so I think that's really where the Lord, uh, what he's implying there, especially as we go on, and we'll see that fruit bearing is a mark of true discipleship. So he does say, every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he works it, purges, prunes it. Why? Because he wants more. He wants more fruit. Okay? And so for us, right, to understand Okay, where are you in your Christian walk? And, and have you seen some of those things added to your faith? And if you have, it's like, hey, great, that's good, right? You're not barren, you're not unfruitful, you ought to rejoice in that. But don't stop, right? Don't stop, because he wants more. And again, it's not that he's being unreasonable. Folks, he's not being unreasonable, He gives you everything that you need to produce that fruit. It all comes from Him. All of it. The very life that you're living came from Him. The Word that you take in. The Spirit of God that produces that fruit. It's all from Him. So for Him to want more, not at all being unreasonable. right? He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. So it's just ours to take and to make use of and to look to him and depend upon him to see it actually happen. So he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit, verse 2. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And it's interesting, the word clean is related to that word purging. right? And so he's, he's highlighting the role of the word in this, which we will see Uh, a little bit later as well. And then he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. Right? It's that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith that enables us to produce fruit. That's what gave us our life and that's what will produce fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. It's just fact. That's the way it's going to work. If you are abiding in him, he's abiding in you, you're going to be productive. Right? That is what he says. Without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Right? And so again, that's really an elaboration on what he had mentioned 
in verse 2, a branch that doesn't bear fruit. It's really not abiding in him. That's the problem, right? And so it's just burned. Very suggestive image in that too, isn't there? Right? If you're not in Christ, you will be burned one day. He goes on, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. And so again, the picture that the Lord sets before us is that the right desire for a Christian, for a true child of God, the right desire for us would be that we would bear much fruit. That's what glorifies the Father. That's what God is interested in. And so that would be a right desire for us, that we would not just be a little bit fruitful, but that we would be a lot fruitful. Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, it's very interesting that both there in verse 16 and also we saw it in verse uh, 7, Uh, That right alongside of this fruitfulness is you asking of the Father. Right? You see it in verse 7? My words abide in you. Sorry, you abide in me. My words abide in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 16. uh, I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. What should you ask for? How about much fruit? Exactly. I mean, pray Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Right? Pray that back to him. And he'll give it you. Folks, he's just been talking about fruitfulness. And in order for you to be fruitful, you've got to abide in Christ. Without him, you can't do anything. So what are you going to ask for? Ask for fruit. Right? Ask for a lot of it. Right? Say, oh, Lord God, I mean, I want my life to count. Right? That your fruit would remain. How long? Try eternity. Right? Don't lay up treasure on earth. Moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break through and steal. Right? Lay up treasure in heaven. Lasts for eternity. And your Father is glorified. And he will be very, very pleased with that. Right? And so, that fruit right, is your own character transformed into Christ-likeness. One day, right, you will forever be with the Lord and you will be like him in character. And then, of course, the work that we do in advancing the gospel Uh, in the lives of others around us will also last for eternity, right? So here is this great challenge from the Lord himself that we would be fruitful. And then, of course, the, the image is used again, I won't have you turn there, but those familiar verses in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the third person of the Godhead is in view, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That is the fruit of the Spirit. In a child of God. He doesn't produce it in the air. He produces it in people. Right? Are you one of those people? Right? Are you one who is asking the Spirit of God to do that in you? 
Do you have an issue with self-control? Have you talked to God about that? Right? You have an issue with gentleness. Have you talked to God about that? You know what I'm saying? Right? Okay. This is what God would want to produce in us. Last phrase of that verse, by the way, he gives this list. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Against such, there is no law. There's no law against those things. No law from who? From God. So if, if there's nothing that says don't have self-control from God, then that's his will for you to have self-control. That is his will, right? There's no law against it. Okay? So it's, it all fits. You be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Walk worthy of the Lord. Being fruitful. What kind of fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 kind of fruit. There's no law against it. You know that that's his will. Right? So are we asking God that that be produced in us? Again, folks, do we have not because we ask not? Okay. Now, this prayer then, that we would walk worthy, being fruitful in every good work. All right? So, I mean, I've been talking generally about unfruitful and fruitful, but it does say that the fruit is in every good work. Now, obviously, the list of uh, fruit of the Spirit, that's, that's what good work looks like, right? In part, right? Uh, so, obviously, that's uh, part of what this would be. Uh, but there are other passages that do uh, flesh that out for us a little bit. Uh, there are some general statements along these lines. Uh, it is connected with the will of God, for example, in uh, Romans 12, verse 2, where we are told to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, right? So the will of God is whatever is good, right? So being fruitful in every good work, that's fruitful in everything that is God's will, right? Because God's will is good, all right? Um, Also, a general statement. Uh, Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And in this, let's remember what Jesus said, right, about uh, how it is his, his desire that we would bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples, right? That's what he said in John 15, all right? So in Ephesians 2, we have this wonderful testimony about how a person comes to be saved. Verse 8, for by grace... Are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? And so in terms of how a person actually comes to be saved, gracious gift from the hand of God has nothing to do with what you have done, right? Or not done, right? You're a sinner. You're worthy of death. Eternal death, eternal separation from God, and God, by His grace, through the finished work of Christ, is willing to uh, pardon you and to make you alive. But notice the next verse. Though those works have nothing to do with your salvation, causing your salvation, as a saved person... Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Jesus in John 15 said, He's chosen you and he has ordained you that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Folks, this is the intent of God. This is not optional. This is, the, this is an integral part of the saving work of God. Right? He saves us that we would be fruitful unto all good works. Right? That is what he's interested in. Right? He's interested in that transformation from what we were to Christ-likeness and included in that would be good works is one way to describe it. Right? And of course, where is it that followers of Christ do those good works? Wherever we are, right? And it is God's intent that people see those good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. You're the light of the world, my friend. Right? And those, your doing of good work, your fruitfulness is exactly what God wants to have happen. Right? Because then that puts, that puts God on display. Because you will be the first one to say, it's not me, it's him. It is God. This is a gracious work of God. What you're seeing in me, the way you're seeing me respond to this trouble or whatever it is, you know, you, you sinned against me that way and you see the way I'm responding to you, that's not me, that's God. He's saved me and he's changed me. Right? Can I tell you about him? Right. I mean, that's what God wants. Right? That's what he's interested in. Our fruitfulness puts him on display. And that's a good thing. Right? Paul, the apostle, in Philippians chapter 1, he's in prison, right? And he's not sure whether he's going to live or die. And he says, you know what? Whether by life or by death, that God, Christ, would be magnified. That's what he's interested in. And that happens by your bearing much fruit. Right? Because the only way you can bear fruit is because you're connected to him. Right? Without him, you can't do anything. It is his fruit, but it's happening in you. That's the amazing thing. Right? What a God we have. Right? What a salvation he has given to us. Right? Yes, there's, there's eternity and all of the glory of it, but you know, there's something glorious about this life too. And the transformation that he's interested in making in us, right? And you've heard, I think I've used the illustration before, but I think it was H.A. Ironside years ago, right, was challenged to a debate by some noted atheist. And um, Ironside agreed uh, to the debate on one condition, that... uh, and he would he would do this, and he's asking the atheist to do this too. And he's basically the condition was that you would bring, and I I can't remember whether he stated a number or not, but uh, that you would bring with you to the debate uh, individuals whose lives have been changed by following your atheism, right? And I'll bring individuals whose lives have been changed by the gospel that I preach. Right? And of course he had in mind you know, all kinds of people whose lives were sorted in the past and so on, but they have been changed. Right? God has produced fruit in those lives. Right? And uh, that is the power of the gospel. All right, so fruitful unto every good work. That is what God has saved us for. And there are so many passages um, that set this before us. Uh, Let's turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to cut out some of them here just in interest of time. But 2 Timothy. Okay. By the way, when Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 7, was warning us about false teachers. He said that we would know them by their fruit. 
And uh, so we'd know disciples by their fruit too, is the idea. All right Now, Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, very interesting section. Verse 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity or love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So again, there's a a little mini list of uh, what good works would look like, right? How they would be described. Um, And then uh, Titus chapter 3, just a page over. Paul writes to Titus and says, put them, chapter 3, verse 1, put them in mind, okay, to think about this, to be mindful of this, put them in mind, to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and to be ready to every good work. Right? So this idea of every good work is right alongside your response to human government. Think about that. Put them in mind to think about that. Right? Uh, the Lord wants us to walk worthy. Our response to human government is part of a worthy walk. It's part of being fruitful in every good work. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. That's good works. Don't be a brawler. Probably not too many ladies that would be accused of being brawlers. Never know. Uh, but, But really, for us men, okay, I'm leaving preaching and going to meddling. <laughs> Are you a brawler at home? I mean, hopefully you're not, you know, a duke out brawler, but would would you be described as a brawler at home by your wife and your children? Okay, that's not good works. Okay, that's not the Spirit of God producing that. Maybe you've got something to pray about, don't you? Right? Ask God to change. Folks, don't be satisfied. If, if, if the Holy Spirit, it doesn't have to be words I say, if the Holy Spirit brings something to your attention as we're going through this, it could be something that I didn't even mention. But if the Holy Spirit brings it to your attention, don't just set it aside. Don't just ignore that. That's God trying to do something in you. That's God trying to produce fruit in you. Don't just ignore it. Do what he's trying to get you to do. Right? Set it before the Lord. Ask him for his help. 1 Timothy 6. Sorry, I just got to charge through some of these. Ha ha. First uh, Timothy 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, including ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Good King James language for give your money away a little bit. Right? That's what he's saying. Right? Be generous. 
the Lord's blessed you, given it to you, okay, put it to good use. Right? Again, that, you know, obviously you've got to be wise in what you're doing in, in, with that. You don't want to promote evil with it. But you can do a lot of good if the Lord has blessed you with financial wealth. Right? And that's part of being fruitful in good works. That's what God wants. Right? Maybe that's why he gave you that money in the first place. Um, Titus chapter 2 we're bouncing around these uh, pastoral epistles must be that God wants pastors to preach about this stuff some eh? if these are the pastoral epistles and this is where it's all being hit again very famous passage and really a very rich one and one that God's people you know, really ought to delight in the challenge and really the 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 uh, the fullness of this challenge in verse 11 for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Folks, this is all going somewhere. The living of life that you're living here, it's all going somewhere. You're going to see him one day. Right? You're going to stand before him one day. He died for you. You're going to look and you're going to see the marks of the nails on his hand still. He's going to be to you as a lamb that was slain. And he did it for you, that you would be saved from all of your iniquity. That's what it says here. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. This is for him. Would you not do it for him? That he would purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, of good works. Okay, folks, this kind of fruitfulness, being fruitful unto all good works, a work walk worthy of the of the Lord that has that mark. Again, it's something that you got to care about. Are you zealous for this? Right? You know, what, you know, have you prayed and asked the Lord to to do this? What where what area is it? Right? That the Lord's looking at and he's saying, you know, three years and there's no fruit. What's going on right, in that particular area? Now, again, hopefully it's not our whole life that is barren and unfruitful, but surely there's some place that isn't as it ought to be. Right? Use these kinds of messages, right? That the Lord would really challenge you. Allow him to challenge you, right? So that you could say, okay, here's something and I do need to get serious about this. And I need, I need to come before God and show some zeal that this would be produced in me. Right? That this kind of good work would be produced in me. Now, for your encouragement, two more passages and I'm done. Okay? Second Timothy chapter three. <clears throat> Second Timothy three. God has given us something. Okay, he ha- you're holding it, most of you, in your hand. And this that he has given us, look at verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's breathed it out and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness to what end? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right? He's given you his word. You're saying, well, how is that going to happen? You know, I've got this problem. Okay, I see the problem. I see the issue. How, you know, it's been that way for years in my life. How is that ever going to change? You've got a Bible. 
And if you get serious about that issue and you start ransacking the scripture and as you're reading the scripture, get a notebook and set it beside you and write down those verses that talk to that issue in your, you know, that you're dealing with. And then pray those verses back to God, right? And get serious about it, right? Really, really get serious that you're zealous for good works, that you are wanting God to do something in you, right? Don't worry about the other guy. Worry about you. Well, worry about the other guy. Pray. Pray for me, right? No, pray for one another, obviously. Paul was praying for others, right? So we can't... You know, don't be too selfish, right? But, but folks, really, seriously, include yourself in your prayers and ask God to do this in you and use your Bible. He is everything you need right there, everything, so that you can be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And not only that, last one, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine follows chapter eight. Okay, uh, I know you like it when I tell you those things because you never would have guessed. Um, but the two chapters go together, and they're talking about giving. And chapter eight opens with a wonderful testimony of the people in Macedonia. And he says, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, we want you to know, of the grace of God, notice that, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. How? Go figure that. Their deep poverty abounded to the riches of their liberality. That's the grace of God, right? They dug deep. They scrounged, right? They did whatever. But they did it for their power, he says. I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Here are these people. They were zealous for good works. And Paul attributes it to what in them? Verse 1, it's the grace of God bestowed upon them. So it's very interesting that when you come to chapter 9, again, part of the same unit, these two chapters, look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto Every good work. Folks, it is the grace of God. And you know what? God is not stingy with grace. Aren't you glad? He is liberal. He will abundantly provide it to you. He will give you all the grace that you need so that always, at all times, you have all sufficiency to do all the good works that he wants for you to do. Those may be different than the good works that he wants for her to do, right? But for you to do, he'll give you everything you need. It's a gracious God. So, Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. That's the kind of walk that is worthy of the Lord. Right? And really, folks, it is, again, you are bought with a price. So you give everything to glorify him. Right? 
and he will make you fruitful. His spirit will do it in you. And you'll look back and you'll say, whoa, I mean, that's pretty cool. Technical term, right? It's pretty amazing what God is doing, right? And what he, the change that he is making in me. And again, all of it for his glory and his praise. And your thanks will be to him. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you, Lord, for anticipating what we would need. And there are some natural objections that our flesh would raise to some of these things, Lord, but you've anticipated all of that. And so we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and that we have a relationship with him, a living relationship. We thank you that your spirit dwells within us and you have begun a good work in us. It's your work. We are your workmanship. Lord, it's like you are chiseling out in us a beautiful, glorious image of Christ. We thank you for it. Help us to give ourselves to it, Lord, without reservation so that we might walk worthy of you. And we will thank you, Lord, uh, and we will praise you now and for all of eternity. Amen.